They know I don't like this kind of pulpit. <laughs> See there? <laughs> See what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, get me another one, would you? <laughs> this one's going to do this the whole service. The reason I don't like these kind of pulpits is... Uh, I was walking down the mall the other day and I had my cutoffs on and everything and some little kid hollered, is that man riding a chicken? And so I, I I'm kind of nervous about that, amen? <laughs> oh, me. Thank you, Michael. Wonderful job, I tell you. Uh, just beautiful, amen. Those were the days. Uh, he doesn't look like he really fits in with this new group, <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord. I was going to say my mama took me to hear him sing, but that's so old. Uh, turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I've had two or three this week. I've been trying to pray whether to what to do next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Did you all know that? Probably means we're going to have a lot more than this. And uh, I've got several emails asking me that uh, we about had a belly full of Joshua. Would you preach a good resurrection sermon? So I, I think maybe we're going to preach a resurrection sermon next week, even over at Arabella. I, I go over there at 8.30 on Sunday morning and, and practice my sermon with them. And they agreed that we probably ought to have one week of relief in here, uh, but, uh, but today, Joshua chapter 7, and we won't, we won't, I just actually want to pick up in verse 27 of chapter 6, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joshua, his fame was noised throughout all of the country. I preached a sermon many years ago on Joshua chapter 7, had three points, Achan looked, Achan took, and Achan cooked. And uh, those will, you know, that's not what I'm going to do this morning, but that's a great outline. Some of y'all doing devotionals. There was a guy named Walter Ashcraft, 1994. Uh, he was a renowned surgeon, skilled. He'd been in the military for many years, learned how to fly a plane there. He left California, headed for St. Louis with his 25-year-old son. And uh, he got out over the Rocky Mountains of Utah and the plane uh, engine stopped, and he did the emergency calling and tried to do an emergency landing. But, man, if, you, if you've been in anything where it's solid snow and then fog there, and you, you know, it's just almost impossible. And uh, he uh, crashed in Cherry Peak, Utah. And, of course, when you crash, they come to you and, and the transportation board, and they, it may take them a year to figure out what it was. But uh, they found a single factor. The, of course, he was distracted by the failed engine, and then he was blinded by the snow and the fog. But here's what they found. The engine failure was caused by a lack of oil. The lack of oil was caused by a disconnected oil supply line. The disconnected oil supply line was caused by a loose nut that vibrated off and spilled all of the oil so here's a 57-year-old man, skilled surgeon, 
with his 25-year-old son, the whole future ahead of him, in a Cessna plane worth a half million dollars. Came to a tragic end that day because of a piece of equipment the size and the cost of a dime. If Aiken were here, I think he'd probably tell you that that's my story right there. That's my story as related in Joshua chapter 7. My life came to an end. I lost my family, lost everything I had, all because there was something that I saw that I coveted. It. And, and, and listen, folks, he couldn't even use it. He had to go bury it under his tent because he couldn't even, I mean, you can't even take the garment out and try it on like you ladies do in front of the mirror and all of that. He couldn't do any of that. He couldn't do it. I pray this morning, this seventh chapter of Joshua would rise up in our hearts and our souls and that God would speak to each one of us. Here is a story of a devastated people of God, a man who had disgraced his legacy and destroyed his family. Hmm. One man, one woman, one teenager, one person. God takes sin seriously. Now let's just look at this, and we'll go through it. Joshua chapter 7. First of all, you see the sinful deed. Verse 1 says, The children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Karma, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethlehem, on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, view the country. The men went up, viewed it. They returned to Joshua, said, Let not all the people go up, two or three thousand. Uh, don't make everybody labor here. There are just few up there. They went up uh, there to the people, about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even into Shevarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. You remember last week Joshua had warned his people. They were getting ready to go around the seventh time on the seventh day. And the walls of Jericho were just about to fall. And there's no way in the world they could get inside of Jericho except the fact that God was with them. And as he was getting ready to go the seventh time, Joshua said, let me remind you guys, because you're like me. You're like me. All of us are alike. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God said, stay away from that cursed stuff, the, the gold and the silver. You bring that and put it in the treasury of the Lord, everything else will be destroyed. He said, don't look at it. Because if you look at it, you're going to start wanting it. And if you want it, you're going to covet it. And if you covet it, you're going to end up taking it. And if you take it, you're going to bring destruction. So he's warned them. He's warned them. And it seems like, I know I'm preaching, you don't do this. It's the church down the road. They got some people in that church that think that the laws of God, they don't have to follow. They're for everybody else. But see, preacher, we're spiritual. We, uh, we're a little bit above that. And the commands of God don't apply to them. I never will forget years ago, now every preacher don't do this, but I'm a carnal 
you know, Christian, I've always had to pay my wife to let us move somewhere. The first church I went to, <laughs> uh, I had to buy her a new couch and love seat. The truth, she's sitting right here. You want to know what it cost me to come to Longview? It's a trip to Colorado once a year. That's, that's, it's on the books. 13 years here and we've never failed. It's always, I'm a man of my word. I came home that afternoon there in that parsonage and there were sheets over the couch and love seat. And I said, what? whoa, whoa, we just bought this new couch and nobody's going to sit on it. You're not going to ruin it. I said, then we're going to take it back because we could put some sheets over the old couch and tell everybody it was a new couch. Huh? I mean, if, if I'm going to pay for a couch and a love seat, I want to enjoy the beauty of it sitting there, not on some sheet. He can't even enjoy the beauty of this because it's stolen. And he knows if he ever brings it out, everybody will know what happened. You see, sin, we don't see the sinfulness of our sin. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron, but I'm telling you, it's not. Sin to us is a small thing. It's like surgery. You know, the people say, what's the difference between major surgery and minor surgery? Well, minor surgery is anything you're having, and major surgery is anything I'm having. <laughs> and that's kind of the way sin is. Uh, sin is big if it's on your life. But now, you know, God's going to bless whether I sin or not. I mean, he, he understands my heart. It's not how big it is. It's not because of how small. It's not because of its size. It's because of what it was and where it was. See, a small sin can lead to destruction. Do you know that you can have a, just a small growth on your arm or on your back, and in just a short while, you're, you're dead with cancer? Do you know that you can have just one small little clot of blood that breaks loose and goes to your brain, and you've got between 7 and 13 seconds left to live? I, Brother Herman and I were in revival down in South Texas in a little hole in the wall called Blessing, Texas. And, uh, or Blossom. I can't remember. It started with a B. Blessing or Blossom? Uh, they were both a curse, I'll promise you. But anyway, <clears throat> the preacher made us ride to Houston to visit. And the whole time, I was tapping Herman. I said, we ain't going to get home. His car was missing. and just, I mean, the whole time, it was just like that. And on the way back, Herman says, uh, have you ever changed your air filter in this car? He said, I didn't know I needed to. Now, that car had over 100,000 miles on it and never had the air filter changed. We stopped in Victoria, I'm telling you the truth, put a new air filter in that thing, and the car started running great. Did you know a little bit of dirt can ruin an entire engine? Did you know a crack in an airplane can bring down that airplane? I'm telling you, a little sin, just a little sin, not dealt with, unconfessed, unknown to others, unknown by your family, still seen by the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting. When this sin occurs, you think of what's happening here when this sin has occurred. It's a great time of blessing. Listen to me, your greatest vulnerability to the devil is right after you've had a great victory of God. 
When God is blessed, God has put up the, the Jordan River, stalled it up there. They walked through on dry ground. God has wiped out Jericho. The walls fell. The people are rejoicing. And it's a happy time. And then the devil comes in. The great blessings of God. I, I don't like to use my family much, but this is the older son, firstborn. Never forget it. You know, when you act like an idiot, you, sometimes it, you just don't forget those things. And I had been, my wife and I took our kids, and we had a special van because they could not ride by each other more than 10 minutes. So they had to have one for their seat and the other one for their seat. And we had driven to Disneyland, and we spent all week there. You know, in the land where Coca-Cola's are $8 a piece and a hamburger's $15. Costs you a fortune just to get in the place. And on the way back, I mean, I'm broke. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm broke. I pull into a Burger King, and my firstborn son copped an attitude. Burger King? And I said, do you know how much money I've spent on you this week? I mean, I'm talking over $1,000. And then you're going to cop an attitude because we're going to eat a hamburger. Get back in the car. We ain't even eating. <laughs> we didn't. Now, that's, that's the situation right here. God has blessed them with the crossing of the river. God has blessed them with the walls falling down. Not a one of them has been killed. Not a one of them has been injured. Not a one of them has been hurt. And then Achan wants to snub his nose in the face of God. God said, I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. I'm going to have to deal with it. Wow. I see so many Christians today being blessed. And you know what many of them, I'm talking about the church down the road. You know what many of them do? They end up using those blessings as an excuse to get out of the work of God. Well, that didn't go over real big. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. There's not a person in this room that is so spiritual that you cannot grow careless or casual or complacent in your walk with God. I don't care how many choirs you sing in. I don't care how many Sunday school classes you teach. I don't care if you're the pastor of the church. You cannot grow complacent or casual in your relationship with God. Because when you do, here comes the sin. And here comes the destruction. And you know what? It could very well happen while you think you're living in the Garden of Eden before the sin. I mean, preacher, my home's going great. Everything's going tremendous. You know, we just, we just don't have no problem. Everything's great. Watch out. First Corinthians says, take heed. Because you may not stand very long, you may fall. Now, the curse from that sin. 3,000 men go up there, and the 36 are killed. Israel tucks tail and runs. An entire nation is defeated. All because of what one man does. You say, preacher, that's, that's just not right. Well, our world's set up that way. I mean, almost every person in here, there's a couple of you that spiritual, but most of us will watch football. 
And do you know if one little old lineman just jumps a half inch off over here, do you know what? They, they penalize that whole team. I have seen uh, guys make, you have to make tremendous catches, and they're sailing for the goal line, and it's going to be a touchdown. Oh, wait a minute. There's a flag back there. One guy does an illegal block, and it penalizes the whole team. Wow. Everyone suffered. Sin in the lives of individual church members, it affects this congregation. It impacts this entire congregation. And I want to tell you, at the very least of what it does, it takes away the staff's time when they ought to be studying and praying uh, to go try to clean up the mess. Because no one ever comes to the pastor or, or Brother Case or Brother Jason or any of No one ever comes when they're thinking, you know, Pastor, I'm thinking about having an extramarital affair. I just want to get your take on it. <laughs> you know when they come? When they've already done everything they can do and their marriage is shot all to pieces and then they come in and say, what do I do? Sinful deed. There, there, there are some things that I can do that would embarrass this congregation. It would embarrass my wife, some of them I've already done, so much she can't even hold her head up in Walmart. <laughs> but now listen to me. I can do that not because I'm pastor of this church, but because I'm a professing Christian. And you can do the same thing. Your life can devastate your family. Your actions can devastate your family. Could, could I tell you just a little secret? The idea of corporate worship and the spirit we're going to have is usually already settled before we come in here. This service this morning, it, it wasn't because of Michael O'Brien. It wasn't because of the choir. It's not because of the musician. It's not because of the pastor. You know how it was settled? It was settled in the kids' locker room last Tuesday. It was settled when you were down at the store on Thursday. It was settled Friday night when you were somewhere where you didn't need to be. That impacts everything. You say, nobody knows. That's what Aiken said. Nobody knows. But God knows. And see, he's the one who is in charge of blessing. So you sure don't want to hack him off. Because if, well, we'll talk about that. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Eleven different times God said Israel did it. The sons of Israel did it. They did it. What one man did, they held all of them accountable. There's a sinful deed. Let me tell you, the second thing is the shocking discovery. It's a shocking discovery here. Because, see, nobody had any idea what happened. There are 3,000 men that went up here to Ai, and they're thinking, hallelujah, uh, praise the Lord, God is good. And all of a sudden, bullets are flying, spears are flying, 36 of them are dead, they're running. They, they, they didn't just beat us, they whooped the living daylights out of us. And we have no idea why. God said he was going to be with us. God said he was going to bless us. And so in verses 6 and following, 
Uh, Joshua begins to pray. He, he rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening tide. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we'd have been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, they'll hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. What wilt thou do unto thy great name? Man, he falls on his face before God. He puts dust on his head. That represents he's low. He's repentant there. He's interested in what God says. And, and, and that my soul they just defeated the number one advanced city in the entire region of Jericho. And now they go up to this little ragtag army and get the daylights beat out of us. And Joshua was crying out, why God, why? Why God, why? I wonder. I'm, I'm not saying we should. But I just wonder maybe if we ought to start some business meetings like that. Why, God, why? Our music is always planned and anointed. The preacher is doing the best he can. People are excited. They're singing. And yet lost people come in and they go right back out. Why, God, why? Are they not being saved? Baptisms in Southern Baptists are the lowest it's ever been since the 30s and 40s. And we didn't have 16 million people back then. We don't have them now either. You can't find half of them. FBI search warrant. In fact, I'll be honest with you, the way our FBI has been going, we may not can find a fourth of them. <laughs> why, God, why? It doesn't seem like you're moving anymore, God. Why, God, why? Could it be that maybe there's sin somewhere in our camp? And maybe God's saying, like he did to them, that he's going to speak in verse 10. He said, get up, Joshua. Now, we don't think like that. We think it's always good to pray. Baptists love prayer. Who thinks Baptists love? Prayer? Now, they're not going to do it in here. But they love prayer. Because prayer stalls progress. And the second thing they love is a committee. You want to kill something, just give it to a committee. That's what we love. You won't find this very often, but God said, get up, Joshua. Get up, knock the dust off your head, clean up, because what you're doing here, I'm not impressed with. Your prayer's not getting any higher. I started to say sheetrock, but that's ceiling tile up there. It's not getting any higher. Get off your face. Stop all that religious activity, because God says, I'm not going to be with you until you deal with sin. Now look at verse 12. He says it just as, he said, therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. Wow. God's promised to be with them. God's promised to go with them. God's promised to make Joshua famed among the nations. And now all of a sudden God's saying, if you're going to have sin in your camp, I'm not going to go with you. I wonder how many times we as churches have stepped out saying this is the Lord's will and God says, 
<laughs> Y'all are all crazy. I'm not paying any attention to you. I'm not going to go with sin. You can have it one way or the other. Either get rid of the sin or I'm out of here. Hmm. You got a choice. But you got to make the choice. And then he says, you announce to the people that you've been with God. And you go home and you take you a bath and you clean up and you eat a good supper and you sleep good tonight and tomorrow we're going to gather here again and I'm going to reveal to you where the sin is. That's what they did. Next morning they come at Jericho. They were camped outside the walls there. They gathered to hear from God. God revealed his will. Now I know, you know, mm, I'm going to take a beating over this. God used lots to reveal his will. When you get to be God, you can use lots. We call that gambling today. But with God, there is no gambling because he knows what's going to happen. When it's a sure thing, there's no gambling. <laughs> All right? So they follow the line of genealogy. The guilty man is in the tribe of Judah. There are 12 tribes, and incidentally, there are 12 sections in this uh, auditorium, counting the choir loft here. And he tells the other 11 tribes, you guys, I don't know if that's for sure, but I think this is probably what he said. You guys go get you some good rocks and get your torches kind of oiled up because we're fixing to stone these folk and then burn them. Whoo! Now, can you imagine if I said this section right here is where sin's going to be? Y'all just, all the rest of y'all going out and get you some rocks, get your torches all ready to light. We're going to meet in a few minutes in a little while and going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Somewhere in this section right here is the sin. Twelve tribes, eleven dismissed, one going through. They start with the grandfather. They go right on down the line. And, 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 and verses 16 and 18 speak of all that. I don't have time to, to, to read all of that right now. Uh, but I wonder this morning, what if God said, the problem I got with Woodland Hills is there's sin in the camp. And God's saying it's you. God's saying it's me. It's not corporate, it's individual. And what if the Holy Spirit started singling us out, saying, this is my problem, this is my problem. And then you have to answer, I have to answer for my family, for you. You see, Israel lost the battle at Ai, not because they were outmanned. They lost that battle because God was not with them. Let me ask you something this morning. Daddy is a priest of your family? Is the Lord God Jehovah with you? I mean, you know he's with you, or you're with him. I mean, you know vice versa. You're walking together. Or would you have to say, hmm. You see, God loves, when he loves someone, he disciplines them. He chastens them. Uh, they come down, and here it is, Achan. Joshua says, Achan, it's you. And you know what Achan? Achan's looking around like he's going to throw God off. You ever do that? I don't know who he's talking about. I have no idea. Joshua said, you're the man. You're the man. And he admits it. He says, I'm sorry. It's down, buried under there. What, you know, all I could keep thinking about this week was, what if, 
the what if. Do you ever get hung up on those what ifs? I mean, I do that every time I fall somewhere. I thought, what if you'd have just been paying attention? You might not have failed. You know, what if? But what if the night before when Joshua said, there's sin in the camp, I've had a meeting with God, tomorrow I'm going to reveal who it is. What if Achan would have stood up and said, it's me, I've sinned, and I'm ashamed of it, and I'm sorry for it, and I want to repent of it. What if he'd have done it the night before? But he sat there lip-locked, never said a word, till it gets to be too late. Hebrews 3 says, repent while today is still called today. Because our hearts can become hardened. You see, every time the Holy Spirit deals with you and you say no, it gets a little bit easier. I've seen folk come in this church right here, and I was afraid I'd have men check the pews because somebody looked like they were going to yank the pew out of the floor. Sitting there gripping it. But you know, after they sit here about three or four weeks, they can sing that invitation and smile and never be bothered at all. Our heart gets hardened when sin is deceiving us. Dr. Murphy Tankersley used to be a, as years ago, that's dating us too, there back at ETBU, taught uh, Bible. He would always start a class like this. Uh, anybody here ever have Dr. Tankersley? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Hey, it hasn't been that long then. He's lived a long life. He, this, this was back in the 70s. He would always start his class like this. First time every year. There's no reason for anybody to repent until the last day of your life. If you wait till the last day of your life, you'll be able to repent of everything all at one time. And so you can live life like you want to, and then the last day of your life, you can repent. There'd always be somebody spiritual raise their hand and say, Dr. Tankersley, we, we don't know when the last day of our life is. And he would step back, tall, and he'd say, Ah, then you better repent today. See, if you don't know when the last day of your life is going to be, the day to repent is not next week, it's today. It's right now. Man, you read in the paper, there's a mother and three kids and all killed in Mount Pleasant, just like that. I mean, just like that. Listen, we don't know when the last day's going to be. And then it was publicly exposed. Verses 23, uh, 22 and 23. It says, Joshua sent messengers. They ran into the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent, the silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent, brought them unto Joshua and to the children of Israel, laid them out before the Lord. I'll never forget. The year was 2007. And I was already pastor here. Becky and I were at a hotel and an evangelism conference in Fort Worth. And I was ironing a shirt. I never will forget this. And we, we have a constant fight every day at our house. I watch Fox News, and she wants to watch Hoda and Goda and Gilda. I don't know whoever it is. Uh, and so we're back and forth. She goes in to do her hair. I flip it back on Fox. I go in and shave. She flips it back on the, uh, the other, you know, back and forth. But we were sitting there listening to Fox. And uh, a, a man at that time in 2007 in Louisiana, 
named David Vitter. Tremendous man of God. I think he still is a tremendous man of God. But it came out that morning that his name was in the black book from the Madam of D.C. That's where that lady took care of all the powerful and wealthy people. His name was in that book. And I, I, I sat there as I thought, good, great. And then they had an interview with Bitter. And this is what he said. I agree to every bit of this. I've already confessed it to my wife more than 10 years ago. My family knows about it. We're reconciled. It's water under the bridge. No problem at all. And I thought, praise God. And the guy repented of it and got it out. And then I said, you know, the tragic thing is after all these years, something like this would come out. Wow. And my wife, her spiritual state, she said it always does. It always does. What you think you're going to hide, Jesus said in Luke 12, it's going to come to light. And it may not be while you're alive, but I just remind you, when you're dead, your kids are going to run through your house and through your tool house. They're going to take your underwear and put them in a black plastic bag and mark them and carry them down to Goodwill. They're going to know everything about you. Yeah. And some of these are going to be woke up and say, wow, I didn't know my daddy did that. I'm just telling you. You know what our problem is in this church? Now, I'm not talking about the church down the road. You know what our problem is in this church? Rather than us being concerned that God already knows about it, we're more concerned that nobody else find out about it. God already knows it. Let me give you the last thing I'm through. Next week's resurrection. Hallelujah. Hold on. The sentence is handed down. Verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire. After they had stoned him with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. The Valley of Acre means a valley of trouble. Stoned him, burned him, heaped a pile of rocks. Now, somebody here is going to immediately say, well, that's just not right that his kids had to suffer that too. Well, the law in Deuteronomy said that there was a prohibition against any child being uh, uh, held accountable for his father's sins. So what, what I'm saying is this. That whole family knew what was going on. They all knew what was going on. See, I, I deal with this all the time. Brenda deals with it all the time. Jason deals with it. Casey, we deal with it all the time. Somebody come in our office and say, hey, you know, this happened to me, but, but everybody in my family covered it up. And then you stuck with living with it the rest of your life. God's not like that. It's going to be uncovered. 
Achan was the spiritual leader of his family. I sure wish he would have led his family. He did lead them. He led them to drink of the bitter wrath of the cup of God. Let me, let me ask you something, Daddy. Where are you leading your family this morning? Are you leading them to the Lord? Are you leading them? Are, do they know from your family schedule and your family checkbook that serving the Lord is the most important thing in their life? Or would they have to scratch their head and say, yeah, I heard Daddy pray Sunday, but he, he don't act like what he says he's praying. And I want to tell you what, there's some scripture I wish was not in the Bible. That part about loving your neighbors, you say, I wish that wasn't in there. That hard part about turning the other cheek, and my soul. But there's one in there that I thank God for. It's found in 1 John. Actually, two of them found in 1 John. 1 John 5, 16 talks about the fact that there is a sin unto death. You can sin and God take your life. There's a sin unto death. But also in 1 John 1, he says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad that's in there. 1 John was written to Christians. He's not talking about lost people. He's talking about the saved people. Those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have an opportunity to confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. <laughs> if there's no repentance, there can be no pardon. Some years ago, a murderer was sentenced to death. The murderer's brother was a big shot and the state was deeply indebted to him for his former services and he besought the governor to write his brother who was sentenced unto death a pardon. He said, man, I, I don't know. He said, just trust me. If I, I, I want to go. I'm not telling you it's going to happen, but if you'll just write the pardon. That man got his brother a pardon to get out of the prison. Sentenced to death. The brother took the pardon and he put it in his coat pocket. And he went to see his other brother in jail, the pen that was sentenced to death, penitentiary. And he said, let me ask you something, brother. What, what would you do if I told you today that you got a pardon? That me and you could walk out of this jail cell and you would have freedom from now on? What would you do? He said, the first thing I'd do is track down the judge who sentenced me, and I'd kill him. He said, the next thing I'd do is track, track down the chief witness, and I'd kill him too. That brother with tears in his eyes got up, turned around, walked out of that prison with the pardon still in his pocket. I want to tell you something this morning now, folks. If you're here today without Christ, he's got a pardon for you. He paid the sin debt. <laughs> he did something he didn't do, and you received something you couldn't do for yourself. He literally was born of a virgin in a manger, lived on this earth, died, crucified on a cross, put in a bar of tomb, rose the third day, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. He's coming back. 
He's got the pardon, and he's saying, here it is. But unless you're going to repent and come to Jesus, you're not going to get the pardon. Dear God, thank you this morning for the joy to be able just to proclaim your word. Thank you so much how we've been blessed in the music and how it's touched our hearts. Lord, I pray now that the word would just infiltrate our deepest part of our heart and soul today. God, there are people in this building, I know, that you've already shared. They're, they're lost. They're, they don't know you as their personal Savior. They may not know what to do. But God, would you just give them the peace to step out and come down this aisle and meet one of these staff members and just share. God, there are many people in this building, if the truth were known, they've got a sin that's been covered up and they've never asked repentance. They've never asked and confessed it. They've never agreed with you that it's sin. And today they need to come and kneel at this altar. They need to be the first ones to come down this aisle and kneel at this altar and say, Dear God, because you paid everything for me, I'm laying everything out on the line for you. God, would you forgive me? Would you restore my family? Would you restore my joy? Would you make me, Lord, what you want me to be? And then, Lord, in this place this morning, I know there are people that need a church home. And in these last days, you've asked us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So much more as we see the day approaching. God, we ask you this morning, would you build a church here that will stand on the Word of God? Would you build a people here that will say, I don't care what public opinion says. I don't care what my family did. I don't care anything. I'm going to stand on the Holy Word of God, and I'm going to continue to serve God until the day He calls me home. I want to be in a church like that. Lord, send them to be a part of this church. Would you have your way now? In Jesus' name, we're going to have...